Before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk about our partner for this podcast, BravoPay. BravoPay is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page on their app and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share your Bravo link with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at app.trybravo.com. I'll also leave a link in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome everybody to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Adam Carter, the creator of The Wayback Sessions, a live stream show featuring a variety of incredible music talent. In this interview, we discuss his journey as a musician, which ended up leading into profession in videography. We talk about his adventures overseas, including filming in Africa. In addition, we discuss how to start developing content and content strategy, as well as the future of live streaming. If you're looking to be a streamer, create a live stream channel, or even your own podcast, there's a ton of nuggets in this episode. It is my pleasure to give you Adam Carter. Hey Adam, how are you doing today? I am very good. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I'm really excited that you're on and uh, I'm really, really excited about uh, the projects you're working on, which I can't wait to talk about. But we're going yeah. st- to start at the very beginning though. So we're <laughs> going to go way, way back. And there's a little reason why I'm saying that. We're going to go uh-huh. way back and to the very beginning and want to know more about uh, how you got into music. How did you get started? You really want me to go for that far back? Yeah, I'm going to go you there. I want okay. you to go there. Because I might start, you know, age might start coming into play. <laughs> That's um, okay. <laughs> you know what? I, I will take you way back. It all goes back to digging through my parents' record collections and, uh, you know, really being like, I think this story feeds for most of us, but getting into, um, you know, seeing the album covers. You've got Iron Butterfly and you've got the Beatles and you've got, um, you know, Paul Simon, the Moody Blues, all this type of thing. The Bee Gees even is back. So there's the dates coming in. Um And that was really my first introduction to being super fascinated with music. And there was always music being played in the house, but not really any uh, musicians in the family to speak of. And, um, you know, that moved through to finding my own um, stride in enjoying what I liked. Uh, At an early age, my uncle uh, really turned me on to David Bowie, Pink Floyd, and then that morphed quickly uh, into heavy metal. And then one day I saw the Grateful Dead and the next day I went from uh, black jeans and black concert t-shirts to tie-dyes and Guatemalan pants. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, like overnight, overnight. And um, then, you know, I I love the Grateful Dead, but when I found fish and I really understood what could happen in an improvisational setting with music, I went, that's my thing. So, you know, fast forward into uh, college, I was in um, my first formal band that literally played out, you know, I was dealt with some things earlier. Um, But in college, I had a band. And uh, but it was when 
it was at, right after college when I uh, moved back to Phoenix that I got back on with uh, my two best friends from junior high, literally. And we started a band called Stepchild that goes back to, I think, 98 is when we fired things up in, in Tempe. Wow. And so that's kind of like the almost like the Jim Blossoms era. Yeah, yeah, that was you know a lot tons of shows at uh, at uh, Long Wongs on Mill, um, even going back to playing out, outside and inside at, at Bandersnatch, um, oh, wow. you know uh, Six East and I mean yeah the the old days of Mill Avenue and, and the Tempe music scene. Which that is a thing. So uh, anybody who's listening right now that isn't from Arizona, uh, Tempe is uh, very much a college town, and that's where Arizona State University is. And uh, especially back in the 90s, but still true today, but especially back in the mid to late 90s, and I would say even into the early to mid 2000s, Tempe was the music scene in in Phoenix specifically at that time. Every All the bands, all the, you know, again, Jim Blossoms, all those bands, they came out of the Tempe music scene back and, in and that it, time. It was so hot at the time, and, and we thought we had it made, but it was so hot at the time. I remember... We, we, we got our first album out, recorded it at the Salt Mine with Don Salter in Mesa. Oh, very cool. Got our, yeah, I got our first album, um, have, a, have a press kit. And, and this was back in the day before, really before cell phones and, you know, ah, again, dates. Anyway, I remember walking into Long Wongs, walking up to the bar, seeing Saracena, who ran the show there, uh, handing her our press kit and saying, you know, lo- love to play here. And she, uh, in front of me, took the press kit CD and all the beautiful things. And of course, we're, you know, uh, broke kids, basically. And she takes the whole package, chucks it in the trash. And she says, yeah, you can play here anytime you want. Make some friends with the bands and uh, see if they'll bring you in. That's and pretty awesome. Yeah, that was the introduction. And uh, very quickly, uh, very quickly, we, you know, became friends with, uh, the bands that was, you know, the trophy husbands and, and chicken and, um, you know, Dave Ensley and that kind of Tempe desert rock. I always call it that kind of scene. And, um, they embraced what we were doing as far as, as rock and roll, which was completely different than, uh, what was, you know, common at the time, uh, around there. And they embraced us, brought us in and man, we, we had some, well, what I consider some good local success. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the things I really always appreciated about um, music communities in general are the ones that really genuinely support each other and not just amongst bands, but also the venues and everybody else that's involved too, is that uh, one of the things I was very fortunate about is when 820 Records got started back in the late 2000s, that scene still existed in that in some form or fashion where it was like very alternative, desert rock, things like yep. that, and kind of got absorbed into that community and can you know, realize how special that was because of the fact of Long Wongs and a lot of other places like that really encourage bands to work together and collaborate together and get to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. We go back to Nita's Hideaway. You've got the Mason Jar. I, I mean, I remember my first what I considered rock star encounter. It was at Nita's Hideaway. It was had to be 99, just a year or two into the band. And, uh, you know, played a show at Nita's and we're out there packing up our gear and some guy saunters up with, you know, like, you know, leather pants and a vest and a cowboy hat. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I really love that. You guys are 
are awesome, great show, uh, great performance, and he walks away. And the other two guys in Stepchild are both named Adam as well, but uh, Adam J, he says, um, you know who that was? I went, I, 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 some guy in leather pants and a cowboy hat. He goes, no, that was uh, Steve Larson. Uh, and at the time, he was playing with Roger Klein. Wow. And um, I, I was, at that point, just floored because even though I didn't know Steve at the time, I knew the band. And, and that was a huge deal to me, really, uh, you know, boosting uh, me as a guitar player and what we were doing. And then over time, really uh, got on super well with Steve Larson. And, and we ended up doing, you know, months on end every week at, uh, at Long Wong's on Mill with that band just bouncing headlines back and forth uh, when he released his solo album. But yeah, I, I, I can go on and on all day. That's very cool. So what, what are some of the, um, what was one of the major lessons that you've learned being in Stepchild and even in previous bands as well? What, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've, uh, that you brought with you from those experiences? Be serious about having fun. And don't, uh, you know, don't blow yourself up too much and, and just embrace the ride and do it the best you can. I, I think that's what we always looked at. Um, you know, being different, being unique uh, to the best of your ability, but really just in embracing the scene and, and everybody there and, and supporting each other. I think that was a big you know, take away, um, practice. There's never enough practice. Practice your stage chops. Understand what it's like to be on stage. I, uh, I know we'll get into the Wayback Sessions in a bit, but on our first show, we had a, a little mix-up going live. And it set me sideways where I, I was so nervous when we finally got going live. It was broken up. I, I just didn't know where to go. And it took me back to those first couple of years where I would break a string on my guitar on stage and game over. Like I, once that string was broken and I had to grab another guitar or restring it because I didn't have two guitars yet. Um, boy, you know, bouncing back. So preparation, practice, and, and um, you know, faking it until you pull it off because so many people don't know until you sit there and your eyes bug out and you know and then they know <laughs> then they know <laughs> then they know i really liked when you mentioned uh be se- uh be serious about having fun in fact i'm i'm gonna steal that line because that is <laughs> is so true it's that you, you want to i think that's the the balance right is that you, if you really want to make this into a career as a musician, that you do have to take it seriously. But if you're not having fun while doing it, then why are you doing it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, something that is so important um, that, that I think sometimes it gets lost. And I've even ended projects for that same reason. Um you know, I'm pretty driven and focused on anything I do and what I choose to do. I tried my best. I actually, I don't try. I do my best. Whether it comes off as great or good or no good, I, I don't always know, but I definitely uh, do my best. And so I'm, I'm with the criteria that, that fun is, is a priority and a, and a major component and focus. Um, hey, when that's over, you know. 
So be serious about having fun and yeah. That's wise advice. And <laughs> so uh, after, so now you've been through a couple of bands and so forth, and then you at some point uh, decided to take a career into videography. So can you talk a little bit more about making that transition? Yeah. How far back do you want me to go on that one? As far back as you want to go. <laughs> so way look, back. I, I um, you know, I've been in the arts in one way or another for a very long time. Um, fine arts and sculpture was really, uh, I always thought I was better at that than everything else. Um, music was always just that kind of crack in the veins. I could not do without it. I, I still can't. And, uh, wasn't an either or or a transition as much as it became film film and video became a hobby to my hobbies and uh, I, I got introduced to it and found that uh, I really enjoyed storytelling it kind of started with um, some really abstract and rudimentary animation uh, kind of stop action stuff and then it really progressed into storytelling and I had a few people get a hold of me and 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 really give me some sound advice on what I was doing. And I just kind of continued that on the side for a long time. And at some point, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Africa. And it became that why in the road for me with what I was doing as, as a previous career. And, and a little bit off topic because it didn't, again, overtake or overshadow the music. It was not in place of, it was just yet another avenue. Uh, but it, it quickly opened the door and I found that I could monetize um, doing video and that I was good enough at it and my skill was there and people were appreciating my approach, style, and, and storytelling. Uh, and, and again, passion of, of what I do and choose to have fun. Look, I can make fun or I can have fun doing uh, anything with video, um, especially when somebody kind of opens that up. But it, uh, it came to the point where I had this opportunity to spend some significant time, a couple of years uh, on and off at seven months at a time down in Africa and, and come home for a little while uh, to where I had to make some serious decisions and say, hey, do I believe in myself? Um, do I have, do I feel that I have what it takes? Do I want to jump off that cliff? It literally was that why in the road, do you or don't you? And, and my, my ultimate decision maker um, was when I asked myself, if I walk away from this opportunity, even though it's massive and it's disruptive to my life, uh, if I walk away with it, can I live for the rest of my life knowing that I could have or wondering would I have been successful? And the answer was, I can't live without knowing. I'd rather fail at it than uh, wonder for the rest of my life if I would have failed or succeeded. Um, and, and that gets into the unending support of uh, my life partner, uh, my partner in crime, and, and my wife for a very long time. And um, when, when I... I literally called her the first time I was in Africa and, and said, hey, this opportunity came up. And the first words out of her mouth were, you said yes, right? And I, I, it is amazing. I mean, it gives me chills just talking about it. And I, I said, no, I didn't say yes. 
<laughs> I mean, this is serious. Uh, this is a long time away from home. I don't know how it'll work. It's not a ton of money, uh, those type of components. But having that support, um, heck, I, I, I wouldn't be here doing any of this from playing in bands and bars to doing videography or sitting here with you today without, you know, Kat's support and, you know, basically telling me that I have to do all this stuff. That's incredible. Yeah. So uh, are there, what are the things that you learned being in Africa? Cause I, is that your first time? I mean, as a, even as a profession, I'm sure, I'm sure going overseas, but was that your first time going overseas in general? No, I have been, I'll tell you another little story. I don't know if this will make it or not, but I'll tell you a little story. So I met my wife playing in a band. I was playing in a band in, in college uh, called Love Nugget. And we were a little rock pop outfit. And there was another band that was this um, folk outfit, two guitars and this girl playing violin. They had won the battle of the bands and they, the, somebody told them that their chances of success would be greater if they fleshed it out with a band. And so they reached out to my, my band leader I guess, and said, hey, can we borrow? I was playing bass at the time, by the way. And uh, he said, can we borrow your bass player and drummer? And he said, yeah. So we went over and got on with this band, and she was the violin player. And um, there's a bunch of weird things in there, but the point is six weeks later, I took her to Vegas to go see Fish, and we, we happened to get married the next morning. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So... Wow, man, I just lost that question. That's okay. No, keep That's going. Totally, this is, this is, this totally is completely side, but where, sidetracked, where, where, but I, where I love we this. Going, this where, where was I going with that? Why did I go back to that band and playing? Overseas? You, going overseas? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, host. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So the, there were two things that we talked about when we got married. That's it. Knew each other for six weeks. Took her to see fish in Vegas. Got married the next morning. Talked about, A, I said... I, I don't, I don't want to have children. That's just where I, I think I'm at. Two, I want to travel the world. And she said, hey, I I'm, you know, don't foresee having children and I want to travel the world. And we went, wow, this sounds great. So that turned into our passion for traveling uh, internationally. And we started, you know, we started traveling everywhere that we could. So that gets into, no, it wasn't my first time overseas. We had done a lot prior to that. It was the first time I was in Africa uh, when the opportunity arose. And then I went back two more times, but again, one time for, you know, seven months and, you know, the second time for about six or so. And that's a long time. Yeah. What are the, what are the, some of the things that you've learned then um, going overseas professionally? Um, what, were, was there any kind of, uh, uh, differences between that and when you were tra you know traveling with your wife like what you know, what are some things that you took away from from that whole experience well i th that it's really hard to deal with the serious technology of filmmaking by yourself in another part of the world um you know i had, i had to duplicate everything before I went in from cameras to mics to batteries to, you know, computers, you name it, I went over duplicated in case something failed. 
Um, I mean, this is like a story unto itself, that whole adventure and, and what I learned and, and took away from it. It, it really did reinforce um, kind of my laser focus on what I do. And when I was there, I just would sleep and breathe and eat everything, storytelling and video. And you know, one thing you have to be careful with is that when you're doing all of that, you can't live your life through the lens. Even though I was being paid to do that there, you still have to step away because sometimes, even though you have a, a story in mind that, that you're really chasing, if, you're, if you've got the blinders on and you're not paying attention to everything else, you're definitely going to miss something that would impart itself to the story in a positive way. I, you know, being completely open to experience, everything from uh, food to problems to the law, um, and just embracing how all of that works. You know, again, this is a story that we could talk about for days. Um, I hope I answered your question properly there. Oh, no, you did. Absolutely, you did. So then moving forward um, after Africa, coming back to the States and so forth, um, mm. t I would like to talk more about uh, the Wayback Sessions. So yeah. um, talk a little bit about that and uh, you know how the idea came about, what it's, what it's all about. Can you talk more about that? I would love to. So I was gone for a while and obviously my bands <clears throat> fell apart or they went to other things. And uh, I came back and, and I didn't play for a little while and then I decided I really want to. And I got a hold of my, my bass player, Brian Perstelsky, uh, and we started firing up projects. And so we moved forward and then we have the, the current times, pandemic COVID, and things shut down. Um, and just at the point where I'm going, hey, I want to get back into live music performing on stage myself. It's just something I miss. And I looked around and I said, wow, you know, I've got a lot of the gear. I do have uh, all of the audio recording, the engineering background, uh, the, the tools. I have the cameras. I've got the knowledge. I've got a really great studio I've been, you know, working on for forever. Uh, I think I'm just going to put together something for my bands to perform and quickly, quickly realized that was super selfish. Um, and then at the urging of my brother, who is a, a great creative mind, and I would spitball this with him, and, and he basically said, you have to do it, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to everyone else because you have the ability to do this and you need to share it. And so over a, you know, some time and trying to piece everything together because it's really a big push to link all the technology up and kind of crawling back into the scene and, and getting back in with everybody that I knew and reaching out, finding out that there was a lot of people that were very interested. And the, the whole thing was I, I want to participate in the solution I want to participate 
in helping advance, or as I say, you know, be part of moving forward on our way back to sharing live music together. And that kind of moved into the audience and the community and people missing the social aspect of what we've always done. Listen to live music, share a beer, big party, you know, on a Friday night or Wednesday, whatever, whatever your pleasure. And, um, but it was all about moving forward on our way back to sharing live music together and in a very safe place and a safe way for the musicians. So not being a, a venue, not being a public space, not being something that had the overhead of, uh, you know, keeping the doors open or selling, you know, beer and not being able to get people in the door. Um, people saw that just one act a week um, in a very, you know, safe manner um, was, was a possibility. And so as I reached out to people, everybody thought it was a great idea. And we've had some, uh, you know, we've, we've been gaining a lot of great traction. Absolutely. In fact, um, when you reach out to me, uh, at the at the time of uh, this recording, you've uh, had one of your uh, performers was Sarah Robinson, which is she's uh, the whole band is just an amazing, amazing group. And uh, so was very, very impressed with not only who you're bringing on board, but as well as just the quality of the production be- between the video and the audio, everything it had. It had a certain type of style to it as far as how the studio looked and everything looked so, so fantastic. So, oh, so th- you know, thank you. kudos yeah. to you for putting it together because it, it looks absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you. And I'd love to hit all of that a little bit. And, and with, with Sarah Robinson, that goes back to the roots of my involvement in the community and being able to get at these people. But I, for, for them, it's a, a massive, thankful, grateful um, you know, love because they said yes. And I, need, I knew that all I needed to do to illustrate the concept and, and share with people my format and what I really had going on was to get somebody to say yes. And Sarah Robinson band said yes. And they came in and fired this thing up. Like, I mean, it was exactly what I needed. It was that shot in the arm. Um, it was difficult to explain to people that I, I have a love of, uh, you know, if you're familiar with jam in the van, K E X P, we can go all the way to live at Daryl's house. We move over to the big dogs like VH1 storytellers. And one of the things I saw in the live streaming situation was um, I, I just thought it could be done better. I thought that there could be a level of audio and video. There could be a level of personality brought into it. There could be a mixture of all of this that would kind of change that format and, and make it accessible. Um, you know, so many people I saw, well, there's some cameras, it's a, it's a venue, they're doing their best, I understand that. And not everybody is super comfortable stepping in front uh, of the camera and just playing a set. And I said, well, you know, I think I can host it and I never aspired to be any sort of personality or host for real, like not, not interested. But I said, well, you know, I have the place, I'm doing it. My idea is that somebody is doing this, I guess that falls on my shoulders. So that's kind of how that all all happened, and I think it's been successful, and everybody's having a lot of fun. I think it also starts to break down some of those, you know, uh, uh, barriers between the performer 
looking at a camera or just feeling that you know there's all these lights and all these cameras and and all of this happening but you know in in this I want to talk about quality for a second because that's a that's a big deal to me and what I've found over over many many years is that if you do it bad people know if you do it good or great hopefully people don't know and that's where I always want to get to I don't want you to see or hear or feel that it's good or bad I just want it to be acceptable and and pleasurable and we've been going through all of these tests and and improvements and every week I sit with my team here and we tear this apart what worked what didn't what can we improve improve on and I I feel that we're like you know like 12% 15% away from greatness but it's always that last 10 15% that is the most difficult and now we're into hey I think we made a half a percent or a you know improvement over last week or or a 1% and you know hopefully we're at the point where people aren't aren't uh, picking up on that improvement that it's good enough already to where we can do our thing and they don't notice and they'll just have a better experience overall and it, it's an incredible team the uh the audio engineering during the live uh broadcast is being done by my bass player Brian Perstelski and it, that's kind of a funny story I'll tell you when we went live I said I can do all this myself and I had everything up and there's four cameras and and Cat was going to handle all of the the broadcasting switching the cameras and 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 fading in and out and understanding the music to get you know tell the story while we're live and uh Brian came over the night before our first broadcast with Sarah Robinson and he was hooking up some gear uh for us to use the following night and at the end uh, the whole thing goes back to a uh, small team skeleton crew not many people in the studio let's keep it safe and when he walked out of here i looked at him and said you know if you're around tomorrow night um i think it would be wise if you came over just to look over my shoulder well he came in the next day and the band comes in and we're remiking releveling setting things up you know yo the guitar player love him he brings in these two massive amps and i'm like dude anyway having to deal with all this it quickly became apparent that a i could not do it by myself and b that first one probably would have been a massive failure uh certainly not something that would have impressed anybody had i not asked him to come in and we've been doing audio engineering uh together for 15 closing in on 20 years so we we use the same gear he we know each other very well we can communicate extraordinarily well and he's very gifted with what he does and I'm I'm grateful that he's having fun with it as we build traction and uh you know as I'm not able to <clears throat> pay the team yet uh we'll we'll get there someday but yeah super grateful for his his quality desire and and passion behind the board and then for cat um handling all of the the broadcast production duties and and dealing with the live chats uh with everybody as it's coming in dealing with all of the camera switching and um you know i i think that it's awesome that they're doing it i couldn't do it without them 
and this would not be where it is just a few weeks, a handful of weeks in, um, being what I consider pretty damn good so far and just waiting to see how we improve and, and it moves forward. Absolutely. And you're right. Is that you get to a point where you do need a team. I mean, even with the, the 80, 20 show itself, I have somebody who does the post production work and then I have the rest of the 80, 20 team that's helping keep the label going in general. It wouldn't be possible to even get the show out the door if it was just on me to do it. Cause even just the time alone, let alone the skill sets to get it out there. So I 100% agree with you is that it's so important to have a t- uh, not only a team, but a team of people that you know that you can rely on, that's going to, that you can know you can communicate well with, that's going to have your back is extremely important. Yeah. And a uh, case in point too about the um, rising to the occasion, I will put it. Uh, same <laughs> thing is, I mean, literally that's how the 8020 show podcast, this podcast has actually got started because of that reason, because of, um, I'm going to call her out on it, but Danny Cutler from KWSS. Uh, y- she, yes. She was the one. So we did every year we do a show called um, the Guilty Pleasure Show. And a couple of years ago, we teamed up with KWSS because it was right around their time for their fall fundraiser. And so Danny said, hey, can do you mind doing a radio spot to promote the show? And we'll put it on KWSS. And I told her, I said, no. Like I don't like my own voice. I'm 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 a born raised New Yorker that's been in Arizona for so long. So I tend to like stumble and mumble on my words. Like I don't, I hate the sound of my own voice. Nobody's going to want to hear this. And she go, she kept on egging me, and she goes, "No, no, go ahead and do this." So I said, "Fine." And I went. I was visiting a friend in Los Angeles, and he he's a podcaster. So he helped me with the radio spot, gave me a couple of pointers, and then sent you know did a couple of things with it, and then send it back. And uh, all of a sudden, afterwards, I have like random people at shows coming up to me, going, "Hey, you're Mike from Eighty Twenty, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> like, we heard your radio spot on the uh, on KWSS. It was amazing. And I'm like, "Thank, thank you." Like, I was so shocked. I'm like, "It was a radio spot. It was a thirty second radio spot." And then people were coming up and complimenting me on it. So I said, "All right, I guess, I gu- I guess I should maybe do a podcast." And that's how it came about about doing it. But then it took about a year after I made the decision I wanted to do a podcast before the very first episode came out because a lot of it was just learning, understanding how it worked, talking to um, friends and family that do their own podcasts. I've doing it, been doing it for years and then practicing as well, like interviewing friends, just interviewing friends and family just to kind of get more comfortable in front of the mic and be more comfortable being the host. So those things take time to do. And if it wasn't for the fact I had a, a team of people around me that I knew I can trust and were supportive, um, both in a 20 as well as just, and as well as colleagues, you know, nothing like this would have happened. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, outside of the, the people that are front and center, like Kat and Brian, there's been an, you know, the overwhelming support from everybody, uh, to just keep reinforcing that it, that it is a good idea, it is needed, and and there's, I mean, it goes to the support of, you know, designers dealing with, you know, logos, branding, people with marketing suggestions. Um, it, it just creeps and crawls, and there is so much energy behind this that some days when I, you know, some days I have a great day, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome, and some days I wake up and I say, who the hell do I think I am? 
And then that's when you need those people. Uh, and unfortunately for me, there's so many of them that, that come back and, and just, you know, push and support. And, and that's as important as, you know, pushing the buttons and understanding the, the quality we want to get in here. So, so many people involved. Hey, I want to ask you a question real quick. Oh, you're going to ask me a question. <laughs> if, if I'm allowed. <laughs> you are absolutely allowed. So, you know, we did a bunch of testing with all of this from cameras and lighting, exposures, audio, all of this stuff. Did a bunch of private testing. And for me, what I found was that there was... Um, you know, nothing like going live to uh, peel back the curtain and show where the, the real weaknesses and, and failure points were. Did you have any of that uh, when when you were firing up the podcast? How, how'd you approach that? So what I do with the podcast is that I kept all the interviews that I've recorded. Um, and still, there's many that I have not even released yet. And knowing full well that I might end up re-interviewing those people, but I still wanted to have it on record because if I decide, ah, sure, why not? I'm going to put it up there. It's, it's fine. Um, I can do so. So I did a lot of recordings that I have not released yet and I may never release. I, I don't know yet. So yeah. I'd use that as my practice run. And then once I felt comfortable with it, then I wanted to build up an arsenal because one of the tricks, and I know you know this as well, especially being a, a videographer for content is that, uh, one of the tricks is if you build, uh, when I mean an arsenal, meaning that you already have a number of episodes already in the can. You already have a yep. certain amount of content already done before you even start releasing it. So that this way you're always ahead of the schedule because otherwise then things get very stressful. And then what happens if you, you, you can't get a guest on time or whatever the case is and so forth, it can get very stressful. So, for example, I knew that I wanted to be at least, ideally at least a month out of, of content. So having at least you know, maybe four to six episodes at, at a time being done or at certain points of being done. So I interviewed a handful of people that I knew. And then at, at this, this was around uh, July, June, July of, of 2020, actually. So not that far, uh, far long ago. And I said, okay, well now I'm comfortable doing friends and family. Let me now start interviewing colleagues. So I started doing the outreach to colleagues and a couple of people that I knew and I knew at that point that I really wanted uh, some guests that are really well-known guests as well to really launch the podcast. Yep. So I reached out to a couple of colleagues that I knew and just a handful of them just to kind of see who would be interested. Because again, it's a podcast. They know me, but again, these are people that are generally very, very busy. All of a sudden, every single one of them came back and started saying yes. <laughs> That's how it happens. I was like, okay, well, this is really cool. Now I have the problem that I have so many. So it got to the point that no joke by the time i was launching the podcast we had about 20 to 30 episodes worth of material between all the test runs i've done before with with friends and family and then the um the you know the other guests that i started to interview only even a month ago uh, before it launched uh all added up was like around 20 to 30 episodes so i said okay i'm i'm in more than good shape so then i started picking and choosing which ones i want to release what also helped too, and another trick that I've learned is I've asked for, and I always ask for permission ahead of time, but I got audio files from other interviews that I was a guest on from the past. So mm. whether it was on a radio station or on a on another podcast or anything like that, anything that captured me talking about 820 Records, I grabbed all those audio files as well. And we're starting to slowly start releasing those in addition. 
So I was able to almost double the amount of episodes I had just by asking for those audio files right then and there. So it was a combination of all those different types of things and then figuring out the format of, okay, well, how do I want to release them? You know, I didn't want to release too many episodes that were just reposts uh, of uh, other you know, sources uh, that yeah, are just interviewing yeah. me. So it was a lot of those kind of things um, and trying to figure out as I go. So, you know, it was interesting that, yeah, I, I honestly, once there are a couple episodes that are coming out now that are from older ones. You can tell that they're older based upon how the quality of it and how I speak <laughs> and so forth. But I honestly wanted right off the gate to have a certain uh, level of quality. So people knew what to generally expect. And then, um, for example, I had an episode come out earlier that interviewed my mom. And that one was one of my first interviews that I've done. And you can very easily tell that the quality wasn't there, like wasn't as good. And my interviewing skills was definitely trying to be honed in on. <laughs> but I didn't care. And I thought it was a great episode and actually was one of our better performing ones. So <laughs> it just goes to show you. And I do give like a heads up ahead of time. Like, hey, this is an earlier episode I've done. So people knew, <laughs> like I set the expectations of the quality. But actually, when it ended up being one of our more downloaded episodes, because, you know, uh, I actually have absolutely no idea why. Like, it was interesting. <laughs> this is my mom. She has nothing to do with the music industry, but it was such a wonderful conversation I had with her. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I wanted to interview people that were not only to new people like, you know, us, for example, but also on top of that, two people that are very close to me, like my parents yeah. and, you know, and fa other family members. And um, this to me is a podcast about legacy. It's about telling people's stories. And um, so this is partly for, you know, for everyone else that's listening out there, but also this is a very, very true to me as well and important to me as a person, because now I have this treasure trove of, uh, of stories that I'm getting, getting out of everybody. And that, yeah. that means so much to me. Yeah. Now, you know, two things you said there. Um, I, I feel very much the same way about uh, the Wayback Sessions. It's um, it's very personal and it is a, you know, just a, a passion project of sorts. I, I do hope that, you know, we're able to parlay it into a, a revenue generating situation and, and, and support everybody a little more than just through fun. But, you know, I'm serious about having fun anyway. Um, the second thing is that, uh, you know, having episodes in the can, so important and dealing in the video world, that, that is exactly uh, the way we have to live. I mean, if you're hopefully doing it right, um, I think. That's what's been interesting about the Wayback Sessions is because we're going live, it changes that dynamic altogether. I, you know, I like to get out a highlight piece after the fact, but you don't have anything before. And so that's been a bit nerve wracking to me. And, and, you know, we were talking about takeaways and, and learning things earlier. That was something that I guess I just didn't spend much time thinking about until we started doing it. And it was like, oh, wow, all the work is coming on the back end. Um, I, I can't really, you know, other than preparing myself uh, or, or questions and, and communicating with getting acts in, I can't really prepare the, the, the content. So that's been an interesting shift in you know, something I'm still working out. Well, that's the thing too, right? Is that, you know, I'm constantly learning on how to make the podcast better and not only on the quality, but also how to be a better host, the formatting of things. In fact, um, 
you know, probably by the time this episode actually uh, comes out, we'll be there'll be a couple of new interesting aspects of the podcast that we are working on right now on how we can expand upon it and how we can do more different things and experimenting and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't work, what people are really enjoying, what people are not necessarily enjoying. So I think that's what's, that's what's so exciting about what we're doing is that it is a constantly changing process on what what we like to do, what we don't like to do, what other people are resonating with, what they're not resonating with, and how we can make it better. And that's one of the things I really like about doing this is that reason is that it's 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 a never ending site. It's a never ending game. You're always going to do try different things. Try how do I make it better? What other things can I be doing? How can I do things a little bit differently? What are the other aspects that I can add to this and you know and see how far it can grow? Well, wouldn't it get boring if we weren't doing that? I know, right? At yeah, some just, point. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is like, you know, what's what's really interesting about what we do is that every episode is different in itself because we're having different people coming on board and there's going to be different challenges and different stories. So that in itself <laughs> makes it different. So there's that part of it that's really interesting. But then on top of that, too, is that we always are, you know, just in general, just because of the people that we are, is that we're always trying to find out how we can make it better in general. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I really like about doing this. Yeah. Well, it's an awesome thing you're doing. I, uh, and I same I, with you. Thank yeah. you. know, I'm really, uh, we had a conversation about this before, but we need more people like yourself, um, not just within the state of Arizona, but just people in general, um, that are providing these platforms for musicians to, you know, to basically tell their stories through their music and, and through, you know, through interviews and doing all these different types of things. It's important to, you know, for them to have those vessels to tell their stories because not everybody has a, a studio and has the gear and, and the technical knowledge to put that together, especially to being something that's, that's the quality that you're producing. So, yeah, well, no, it, th- it means thank a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, it, 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 Sometimes sounds a little dramatic when I when I say this, but one of my you know, speaking about earlier it being very important to you know the audience and the social aspect and people missing that um, part of being out during these times. But I I realized that it was almost detrimental to the artist and the musician, and not having that outlet at what point are we going to start losing valuable uh, artistic creative minds in writing music at what point does a musician stop writing songs because there's no one to play them for uh, at what point do they you know do you have depression in enter into it and we have a guest coming on this week um, who his entire life uh, literally has uh, been involved with live performance and and music and um you know the the possibility that that could be taken away uh from him and or us is the audience is you know do we do we see the dark ages uh in in music or or in the creative uh arts um again might be a bit dramatic but if there's anything i can do to participate and give that platform and and keep that from ever happening, um, then I, I feel successful uh, about that. Um, I tend to be an optimist. That's naturally who I am as a person. And the way I see it is the silver lining is a couple of things. One is that because of what everyone has gone through, it div- definitely, I feel like, gave, gave us a new appreciation 
for live music and for live performances and for live experiences as a whole. And I think that when it's safe to do so, I think we're going to enjoy it and appreciate it even more because mm. of the fact that it was taken away for us for so long. Yeah. The second thing is that when you ever have a void, that there will be always people rising to the occasion to fill that void and people like yourself. And because of this, we are also seeing all these new innovations and new collaborations forming because that void needs to be filled. And that's going to last far after it's safe to go back to shows again. And we're going to now have all these new possibilities and opportunities for not only for music fans and people who appreciate music, but for the artists and musicians themselves to, you know, to get their word out there. And to me, that's the more, the more exciting part of it. And the way I always look at these things is that, you know, as horrible as the situation is, that there will always be people that will rise to the occasion and make the most of it and then hopefully do better. If you look at history, that um, during the, you know, depression eras or the lowest points in our society is when the, you know, when you have the, the most innovations happening. And you look back, um, a lot of um, companies especially, but just people in general, usually will have, you know, these moments of success and these moments of inspiration because of the situation that we are in. Mm. And that's what ends up lasting for generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, when, when it comes back, and it will, uh, and I'm very excited for it, um, live music, that is. Uh, yeah, this, this isn't something that's going to go away. It's definitely valuable. And it, It'll and just this, be an addition. It'll be yeah, an, an, an addition. addition. Yep. Right. It's, a, it's not a replacement. It's an addition, mm-hmm. too. So that this way, you know, these, these new opportunities uh, for artists and, for, and new mediums for uh, audiences to appreciate music is going to be in addition to going out to live venues or to festivals again and doing all these things. And not only can gives you an opportunity to, you know, to enjoy that music even more, but at the same token too, hopefully the idea is that it helps you introduce you to new music and to new artists and to all these different types of things. And that just helps everybody out. You know, I, I'm glad you said that. I, I want to mention one other thing and, it was another premise behind me wanting to do this is that I'm, I'm just a fan of music and I'm a music lover in general. I love all kinds of different things. I don't love everything, but I'm, I'm a curiosity seeker by nature and I'm fascinated by instruments and the voice and gear and music and how it comes together. And I'm hoping if, if I, you know, if we on the show can do it right, I'm hoping that I can gather some people that love the rock and roll and, uh, you know, gather the people that, um, you know, don't like the rock and roll but are show, uh, sh- tuning in because there's, um, you know, a violinist on the show uh, or an opera singer or a country band. And, you know, because we're not just playing a full live set and you're not going to sit down and, and, and have whatever may not be your favorite in front of you for an hour, you play a song, you might not like it, but hey, what are they going to talk about and find out? And when you approach, you know, with Western music, we all have 
we all have 12 notes. Whether you're on the piano or you're on the guitar, we're all dealing with the same 12 notes. And when we get into songwriting and composition, we, you, you find out that it's not as dissimilar as one might think. Um, and then you find out the fascination for me, uh, the motivation behind piecing together these notes to make music in so many different ways that I think it all brings it closer together. And I'm, look, you know, you get the Sarah Robinson band in here, which, hey, Sarah, if you're listening, I, you know, whenever you guys want to come back, uh, we'll get to that. But, you know, you bring in something like Sarah Robinson band that is just, I mean, for me, I, I boy, that's what I love. Um, but to bring on something that I'm not in tune with is, is almost more fascinating because I want to dig in to find out what don't I understand about how you're approaching music and am I, am I not understanding a component that will allow me to appreciate it better? And it doesn't have anything to do with that's going to become my favorite thing or I'm going to go throw that CD in there. But on that, you know, learning and wanting to know more and appreciate it on a different level, I, I, I guess that's, you know, kind of an educational aspect. And I'm hoping that we can drag people along on that journey as we, you know, take a rock and roller and introduce them to a country band or an opera singer or whatever. And, and some of these people will start tying this together or I can help them. Uh, I guess that sounds a little bit grand, but, you know, help them through my journey of exploration of music, uh, tie these pieces together. That would be like a, a super dream component for me. Absolutely. Well, I really do appreciate everything you're doing. So thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to the ne the future episodes of the Wayback Sessions. So, um, but thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Um, this was such a blast. Mike, thank you. Yeah, I had a blast. I appreciate the opportunity and everything you're doing for the community. And, you know, I look forward to seeing you real soon. Thanks, Adam. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. To learn more about 8020 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.